Hey, I'm going to pray. We're going to get into the Word. We're actually going to continue. Uh, the last week, we, uh, we started a series uh, uh, on living a generous life. And as we continue this morning, I, I, I just want to start by thanking so many people um, in our house uh, with a heart of generosity. I, I, I see people just step up um, when uh, there's a physical need, when there's a financial need. Um, I, I see people give their time and their talent and their treasure to serve the needs of others. I see people out here at you know, 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock in the morning on Sunday mornings to get the parking lot ready so that people don't fall down and you got a place to park, man. I'm, I'm, I'm just overwhelmed with, uh, with gratitude. And um, can you just give somebody around you a, a big thanks for how they serve? <laughs> Jesus, I just praise you this morning, and I thank you for your amazing presence in our midst, God. And I thank you this is just a foretaste of what heaven will be like when you just uh, uh, abide in such a profound way. We feel things shift and transform in our lives, God, when we worship you and you abide in the praises of your people. I, I pray you help me to, to communicate and to teach clearly this morning. And God, know that I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not preaching my word, I'm preaching your word. Your word is, is the filter. I'm bound to it. I'm bonded to it. And I pray this morning you help me be a, a great communicator and that you help people receive what I believe that you put in my heart through your heart for them to receive, for us all to receive. In Jesus' name. And they all said, Amen. So, um, I, I want to just, just a quick recap. Last, last week I preached a message that the key idea uh, was that to be a generous people, we have to be anchored by gratitude. And that gratitude is expressed... By being thankful. You know, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And when you're anchored in your heart in gratitude, then there's actually something that should, should come out of, of, of how you express and how you communicate. And that should be thankfulness. How many people um, maybe this week heard that message and would say it changed some things for them this last week? Amen. That is good. The other thing, uh, I wish I would have had a lot more people raise their hand, just to be honest with you. But it's all good, you know, sometimes it takes a while, right? Um, we also prayed that God would break any strategy and spirit of complaining. And I had, we had a lot of people respond. I responded like, yeah, you got to break that strategy, it kind of sneaks up on you again and pretty soon you find yourself. So anyone feel like they're experiencing some freedom in that area this last week, Amen. That, that's what we want, transforming stuff. So I believe that a generous life must be developed and restored. And restored. Restored because the original blueprint of man is in the image of God. And in Psalm 51, 2, it says that, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. So God who created us is a generous and he's a giving God. Amen. And when sin entered the picture, the original blueprint was fractured, and a generous life must also be developed, not only restored, but also developed, because we're not born generous. We're born needy. We're born grasping. We're born 
bawling. We're born, feed me, feed me, feed me. Amen? We're born for attention. How many times you realize that 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 baby, you know, when you're that baby, you just thrive on that attention and then mom's conversation goes elsewhere and the baby starts fussing because suddenly the attention is not on you. And, and, and that's just how we come into this world. Amen? We're born grasping, needy, selfish, self-centered, all effects of fallen sin, and yet we're hardwired, we're hardwired, so to speak, to be giving because we're created in the image of God. Just as being a thankful person has scientific health benefits, some of the same studies and metrics show that giving affects your health in a positive way. Cleveland Clinic reported that when you give or help someone, your brain secretes serotonin, dopamine, and oxytocin. Isn't that crazy? When you give something like if I'm going to give something to somebody right now, basically something actually happens in my, in my brain. Dana, I, I just want to give this to you, bro. Something just happened in my head. And it felt good. It, it felt good. I mean, oh, 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 did you want, hey, now see, see that? No, you dropped it. I dropped that. Well, I want to give that to you too. I want to give that to you too, bro, because that's probably a sign from God right there. You know what I'm saying? I mean, isn't it amazing, though, that actually science says that something happens in my head? I just got a massive hit of dopamine, of serotonin and oxytocin. Isn't that crazy? Because we're hardwired to give. This is how God created us, because God himself is generous. This is a generous God. And it, it shows, science shows that it lowers your blood pressure. You have a longer lifespan, this is crazy, and it affects you the same way as healthy diet and exercise does. Isn't that amazing? You mean I don't have to eat healthy and I don't have to exercise? If I just give, I'm going to be healthy? Man, that would be awesome. Isn't that amazing? Isaiah 32.8, but a generous man devises generous things. And by generosity, he shall stand. So there's this dynamic struggle within our old nature and the new nature that God's called us to. And then we're born again, and God begins to shape us into his image, his character, his values. And when we teach about a generous life, there's a need to unpack what the Bible teaches us about money. Matthew 6.21, Jesus said this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So how about my money? What money? How about my finances? Do you recognize, um, studies show that 25% of Americans are carrying debt from last Christmas into this year. And that 30% of Americans will actually carry about, go into debt 30% more because of Christmas. So there's not a better time to actually talk to you about what the scripture talks and the Bible talks about, about money. There's a spiritual component that the Bible speaks to when it comes to your money, comes to our money. Listen, Jesus said this. He said, you cannot serve two masters. 
Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, if you're a guest here this morning, about once a year, we will do a series on generosity, on giving, and we will address money. It's way too important. 68% of people who divorce say money is the reason. If we, if we look at how our culture handles money, there, I am not doing you justice as a good pastor if I don't teach you and show you what the Bible speaks about money. There's a spirit at work. The KJV uses the word, when the translation says you cannot serve God in money, the KJV, King James Version, uses the word mammon. Mammon is used four times in the Bible. There's a spirit at work when we consider the roots of this word and actually what Jesus is saying. Let me break this down for you. Money, currency itself, is, not, is basically amoral. But there's a spiritual strategy that can accompany money and surround it, if you will. Have you ever considered how many synonyms there are for money? I don't know why I looked this stuff up. And there's some really weird ones. Cabbage. Benjamins. Dead presidents. Pelf. I've never heard of pelf. Pelf is a synonym for money. Pelf. Isn't that crazy? Pelf. Hey, you got any pelf? Cheddar. Bacon. Capital. Big ones. There's 901 different words to describe money. Isn't that crazy? Tell me somebody's not fixated on money. Mammon refers to the desire to pursue wealth as a primary goal or purpose. And so if we're honest, money can make people crazy, can make them desperate, can make them irrational, can make them murderous, right? People can steal, they can kill, they can deceive, they can manipulate all over money. We gamble for it, we yearn for it, we can lust for it, we look for new jobs, new promotions, and new places to live because of money. Money itself is not evil, but the love of money is. It's the motivation for the darkest trafficking, wars, deaths, kidnappings, hostile takeovers. Families are split over money, inheritance stuff that we can't take with us. So you have to let me teach and preach on occasion about money because it's this important. Money heightens neural activity. In one study, researchers scanned the brains of 12 people as they played games for money. Everyone in the group experienced heightened neural activity, especially on the, the nucleus accumbens, whatever that is. When the researchers compared their brain scans with those of addicts who were high on cocaine, they found they were almost identical. Nothing had an effect on people like money, not naked bodies, not corpses, and it got people riled up. Isn't that crazy? What money does. You cannot convince me that there's not a spirit at work when it comes to money. The devil even tempted Jesus during the 40 days with essentially power and wealth. And Jesus is basically saying here that only one will be your master. 
Webster's Dictionary defines mammon. Remember, we use the word mammon four times in the Bible as a false god. Remember where Jesus said you cannot serve God and mammon? Webster defines it as a false god. The etymology of the word mammon is traced back to the Syrian god of riches, which came from Babylon, whose roots were in the scattering of the Tower of Babel, which operated in the spirit of we don't need God. You know how many people, if they've got uh, well enough money, then they're, they're, they're lean as we don't need God. There are the biblical meaning of mammon or mammonas is riches or treasure that are opposed to God. And there's a spirit in it. So there are spiritual principles, and if I can say this, there's spiritual warfare over your finances because there's a competition for your affections. The devil would like to basically say, hey, if you'll bow to this spirit, I'll give you everything that you want. Your security, you won't have to fear for the future, blah, 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 blah. And yet we know that the people that, that are chasing the almighty dollar all the time, they're never content, it's never enough. There are spiritual principles and spiritual warfare. God has called us to be stewards and not owners of things that he has given us. Now this is amazing to me because Jesus taught 36 parables. And basically, 16 of them had to do with stewardship and money issues. So roughly, somewhere between 30 and 38% of all that Jesus taught had to do with how you handle finances and treasure. Isn't that crazy? And yet there are people that will be offended if they come to a church and a pastor preaches on it once or twice. It's just way too important. We've all seen people when they can't handle money, basically how destructive it can be. How many feel that the biblical instruction on faith is important? Amen? You realize there's about 500 verses about faith. How many of you would feel that the biblical instruction on prayer is important? Come on, somebody. Come on, Pastor Susie in the back. I got two hands. There's about 500 scriptures that are based on prayer. How many of you feel that biblical instruction on money is important? Come on, you realize there's over 2,000 scriptures on money in the Bible. God's system starts with a principle called the tithe. I'm gonna to talk to you about the tithe. It's the tenth of your increase. And the tithe is God's plan that takes our money out of the world's operation system and into the kingdom operation system. It's a principle that was established before the law was given, and it's rooted in gratitude that everything that we have is from God and expresses an ongoing trust. The expression of our trust financially in the Bible, the only expression you see really is the tenth, is the tithe. And I believe the tithe is a faith step and that there's always a supernatural response from God to faith. Do you know that the number, do you know what the number 10 represents in the Bible? It rep represents testing. I don't know if you knew this. It represents testing. How many plagues were there? 10. How many commandments were there? 10. How many times did God test Jacob's heart? 10. 
How many days was Daniel tested in the first chapter of Daniel? Ten. Isn't it crazy? Ten is the number of testing. So just in the New Testament, there was a parable of the ten virgins that were tested. And Revelations 2.10 mentions ten days of testing. So it's not only Old Testament, it's also New Testament. Um, just being straight up, the tenth, the tithe equals the tenth is a heart check that God instituted. And it's the only place in, we see in Scripture where God says to test him. I heard the story of a missionary in Africa who received a knock on the door of his hut one morning. Answering, the missionary found a native boy holding a large fish in his hands. The boy says, uh, Reverend, you taught us uh, what tithing is, so here, I brought you my tithe. The missionary gratefully took the fish. He questioned the boy, if this is your tithe, where are the other nine fish? And after this, the boy beamed and said, oh, they're still back in the river. I'm going to go back and catch them now. <laughs> That's faith. That's faith. The question is, will we bring our money our stewardship into the light and the system of God's way, or do we let it remain in the system of the world? That really is. There's a, such a spiritual component on this if we break this down. In Deuteronomy 8.18, it says, And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers, as it is to this day. Now listen, let me read that again. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he, may be a, that he may establish his covenant. So God does something for his own good. We get to walk in it. We get to steward it. But ultimately, you see here that if we have been given anything, I mean, anything that we have has been given to us. Anything that we have has been given to us. I'm a steward. You know, my uh, many of you have heard my, you know, testimony of being really bro uh, brought up in a broken home. And, uh, you know, my mom was married a, a number of times, and every time we turned around, we were moving. I can't remember how many schools I attended. Uh, I had different last names every time I turned around because there'd be a new stepdad in the picture. But I, I, the, the thing that I just so honor my mom is she kept her kids in church. Every one of her kids is a believer. Every one of her grandchildren are believers. And I remember mom would, would bring us to church and remember the days where they would pass the plates and there'd be this kind of round wooden plate. And you know, you know, as kids, a lot of times you don't, you don't have anything, but I remember that mom would give us a dollar so that we would get used to actually putting something in the offering plate. And then she taught us about tithing. So if we got a, we got a, um, you know, we got allowance or something like that. She would say, now make sure that you, you, you know, you put 10% in. And so it, it was just this core value that was brought up in me. I watched my mother model something and teach me something. That's what good parents do. Amen. And so I remember now I fell away from the Lord. Robbie wasn't a Christian. We got married. I was 19. She was 18. We hit the road playing rock and roll. That's what we did. You know, we were traveling, we were doing bars, we were doing concerts, we were doing all this stuff. But I remember coming back home, and I would always come back home, and I don't know that if Robbie even understood this at the time, but I would come back home, and I'd walk into the local church that I, that I wasn't even attending anymore, and I would basically say, here's my tithe. Because I realize that God's going to bless that, and that needs to be just something that I do, right? 
Um, and then, then Robbie and I had this like, and it's not like it's easy because listen, when you move into this kind of freedom and faith and obedience, because I think it's all of the above, there's a resistance to it. There's a resistance. There's, there's people here this morning that as soon as I talked about money, they kind of went, ooh, I better grab my checkbook. Because the devil doesn't want you to be freed in your finances. And he doesn't want any of us to basically walk in the principle that we see a biblical principle of giving and stewarding our finances in a right way. So I remember this was a, this was a stretch for Robbie and I because, you know, I would get paid and then we would say, okay, here's my paycheck and then basically we're going to tithe off that. We're good. And then, and then we're going like, yeah, but listen, this really isn't my, this is my net. This is not my gross. I'm going to just do on the net. I'm going to do on the net. I, I think that's all we can afford is, is the net. And then we just like, the Lord just kept kind of working us. I heard a couple messages and I realized, you know, out of my pay, all they're doing is taking stuff out like my taxes and my social security and my stuff that I need to pay anyway. I'm paying that. And so we took a big step, didn't we? And we basically just said, okay, we're going to take a step of faith and we're going to give on the gross. That was a big step for us. Because, I mean, we were like, I mean, we had kids. We're kind of struggling. We're kind of doing this, but we're going to do it. And then, man, within about, I don't know, two, three, four months, it's like, why haven't we been doing this for years? God is so good. And I remember we, uh, you know, for a number of years I raised, you know, um, I raised puppies, you know, hunting dog puppies, and I, I love to train dogs and all this. And we just decided, you know, it says in the Bible that every time we get increase, that basically we need to, we need to respond to the Lord. And so, you know, we'd, get a, we'd have a litter of puppies, and I'd make sure that, you know, one of, those, one of those puppies, I'd tie that puppy. I mean, and we found out, wow, gosh, we're having great litters, and they're healthy, and everybody seems to be happy with them. We just see that, that when we bring anything that is bringing increase into our life under God's rule and reign and principles that there was just a, it just went to another level, amen? Hebrews chapter 11 is sometimes called the hall of faith. And these are people, it speaks of Abel, of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, of, and of Moses, and these are people that it's good to emulate them. And they were blessed I mean, when I look at them, I'm like, oh my gosh, they were blessed. I want to be blessed like Abraham. I want to be blessed like Isaac. I want to be blessed like Jacob. And so when I look at the principle of what they were doing, here's what you find is a really common denominator. Abraham commenced tithing. That's where we see the principle. This was before the law. It was a principle and the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shava, that is the king's valley, after his return from the feet of, of Shador Iamor. Whatever. That's crazy. God, could you make some of those names a little easier for us just, you know, rednecks? Um, and then Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now, he was the priest of God Most High. This was a type and shadow of Jesus. And he blessed him and said, blessed be the Abraham of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand, and he gave him a tithe, somebody say tithe, of all. We see that it's reiterated broadly in Hebrews 7. Uh, Jacob continued tithing. It says in Genesis 28, 22, and this stone which 
I have set as a pillar shall be God's house, and of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Moses commanded it. We see it in Leviticus 27.30. And all of the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's, and it's holy to the Lord. Malachi challenged people to do it. Malachi 3, 7 through 12, I know there's a lot of scripture this morning, but I, I, I want to, I, you know, part of the reason I want to do that is this is not just my opinion. This is actually the word of God, and really what happens is when, when the word of God actually does something in you, when you're presented with something, then you, you, you kind of have to struggle through it, and you have to say, is this something I'm going to walk in? Am I going to trust God in this? Malachi challenged people to do it. Malachi 3, 7 through 12. Yet from the days of your fathers, you have gone away from my ordinances and not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, in what way shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the heavens of window and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be enough room to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord. Most of the time, we, we kind of neglect to read the whole chapter of Malachi 3, which is telling of the coming of the John the Baptist to prepare the people for Jesus. In the beginning of chapter 3, God is speaking on how there will be a purifying and how there will be a revival because God's people have turned from him and turned from part of the covenant and principle that God has established. But then he says, but you said, in what way shall we return? And God's expression our expression of our trust and obedience of God, just like thankfulness is an expression of the anchor of gratitude, is really trusting him with our finances. Jesus confirmed it. There'll be people that say, well, you know, it's not really, it's under grace. Or it's under the law, it's not, a, and we're under grace. Well, listen, grace always raises the bar. You know, in the Old Testament, you know, murdering somebody was obviously, a, you know, something you did do. But later Jesus said, well, if you're even angry with your brother, right? Uh, in the Old Testament, committing adultery was a sin. But Jesus said, if you even think of that. Now, it, see, he raised the bar. He never lowered the bar. So in, in Matthew 23, 23, Jesus said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. A lot of people stop right there. But if you go on, it says, these you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. And so you, okay, man, that sounds, I think Matthew's in the, pastors, Matthew's in the New Testament, right? Okay. So we see this. We see it in Hebrews. We see it in Matthew. Some folks say that the tithe is Old Testament not needed because it was the law not spoken of that much in the New Testament. 
But for example, the early church was comprised mainly of Jewish people who had a culture of tithing. You know, this is kind of crazy. See, there's, there's, I remember Pastor Joel spoke of this a couple years ago. There's things that the Bible didn't really speak of in that context because it wasn't needed. You knew who was actually tithing and who wasn't. I, I don't know. I'm just telling you as your shepherd, I don't know. The only time that I know if somebody's giving is if we're considering somebody for uh, and uh, a, a position of leadership in the church, eldership, deacon, whatever. And then I will go to my bookkeeper and I'll say, are they partnered with us financially? That's I don't want to know how much they do, what they do. Are they partnered uh, consistently with us financially? Because if you're part of our leadership and you actually have a say in where the finances go, then you have to have your nickel in the pot or it's hypocritical. But in the New Testament, in the culture that Jesus was in, man, they knew. That's why, I mean, you couldn't go, if, if, if I knew that Chris was a tither, then I, I could go to his house and share a meal with him because I'd realized that he'd brought all of his food into, into a covenant relationship. But if I knew that he was not a tither, I could not go because I'm not going to eat non-tithe food because then basically I'm participating in something that's not under the kingdom principle, under godly principles. So why is the tithe important? There's a couple thoughts. First of all, it's a principle of money management that God instituted. And what I found in my life is when God gives me a principle and I walk in it, he's faithful. Secondly, uh, or, 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 well, let me, let me continue. It's not an issue of salvation, but it's an issue of honoring God and following a principle that takes your money out of a worldly system and into a godly one. If you want to break the spirit of mammon, because I believe that it, there's an actual spirit and strategy. It's like we go back, you can't look at how many fights, how much destruction, how many wars, how many stuff over money and not, not agree that there's, there, there's a spiritual strategy over it. To break that in your finances, you take your finances and you make sure that they're in a godly principle, godly kingdom aspect. Secondly, God has not created anything, think about this, without supplying something to sustain it. Fish, they need fish food. Cows supplied with grass. Babies need milk. Cars need gas. Amen? Everything that is created, there's also uh, supplied what that's needed and when we, when we look at this, we, in Malachi, we see that the tithe, now, now I'm not going to break this down today, maybe sometime in the future we'll do this, but what you find in the Bible is there's tithes and then there's offerings, there's love offerings and different things like this. The tithe itself is supposed to be directed into the local storehouse. That's where you're getting fed, that's where you're rooted, that's where you belong. The expansion of the kingdom which is the most important thing to God is why the tithe was established and the principle of the tithe was established. It's what supplied the tabernacle. It's what supplied the, 
the, uh, the priestly ministry in the Old Testament. It's what supplies ministry and expansion of the kingdom in the New Testament. In Malachi, we see that it was supposed to be directed into the storehouse. And the storehouse is where you go to be fed. It's the local church where you're planted. If you're a guest here and you're planted in another local church, you do not bring your tithe here. You can bring an offering here. But don't bring your tithe here because this is not where you consistently get fed. It would be like me deciding that, hey, Rob, let's go to uh, let's go to Mi Pueblo right after church, and then when we're done, I'm going to go to the settlement and pay them. That wouldn't work, right? Settlement would love it. But I want the kingdom of God to be expanded in the earth. Can I have our worship team come? But am I hindering the expansion because I'm withholding the means and the source and the fuel, so to speak, that God has designed for it to run on? In Malachi 3, God is not as gentle as I am. I try to take truths and I probably, sometimes I probably throw softballs a lot more than I do hardballs. Malachi's a prophet and he just throws a big old hard, he, 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 he throws a big old fastball. He says this, he says that people have actually robbed God and that there's absolute promise and blessing in Malachi 1. Let me read Malachi 3.10. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room to receive it. Man, this is what I love is God is saying, listen, if you'll trust me in this, if you'll take this step, I'm going to respond in a way that you can have never imagined. I, I, you know, growing up with a single mom and not even like, I'm, I mean, you, 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 a lot of times you think, okay, you know, you're 17, you're 18, you're 16, what's the big vision for your life? I didn't have a big vision for my life. You know, I, 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 don't, I, I wasn't raised up in a way that, you know, was like positioned me to be successful. All I know is that when I took the step and I said, I see it in the Word of God. And it is kind of hard. I mean, it was, it was probably harder for me than it was for you. Or maybe it was hard for you too. I don't know. But it was like, but I, I've, got, I've got a certain amount of finances and money and, and you want me to do this, Lord, but I just realized... I'm going to trust you because your blessing over the 90% that I get to steward is probably going to be a lot wiser than me trying to take 100% and figure out what to do with it. Now, for everybody who has taken a step of faith and trust and obedience in this area, I really believe that if you talk to them, they would say, I wish I'd have done it earlier. I wish I'd have done it more. In fact, there's two things that I've never heard people in, in 22 years of, of being a lead pastor, I've never heard two things. One is I wish I'd have never tithed. I've never heard anybody regret that. I've actually heard people regret, I wish that I'd given more. I wish that I'd walk in that principle more. And the second, I've never heard anybody regret giving their life to Jesus as Lord and Savior. I just want to encourage you this morning. This may not be a big altar call morning, but it could be a morning that actually changes your filter. 
you realize, I, I believe this with my whole heart, there is a spirit, there's a spirit of mammon that we are constantly encountering in our culture. And it's a spirit that basically you will never be content with. I'm not saying having good things is not a good thing. I believe God wants to bless us. But they can't be the goal. They've got to be the outflow. And you have to have your heart in the right place. Listen, if you have your heart in the right, in the right place, in a right relationship with God personally, but also in a, in a right way stewardship, you realize that I, 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 everything that I've been given that I've been blessed with, yeah, and you have people, well, I've, I've really worked hard. You know, I've grinded this thing and I've worked. Yeah, but you know, who gave you the power to make wealth? Who gave you the strength to work hard? Who gave you the inspiration to come up with that business? Who gave you the inspiration to, to add to that thing and, and, and create another stream of income? It all comes from him. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights above. Everything that we basically walk in has been given to us. And God is saying, listen, out of every 10 French fries, I want you to return one to me. And, and you can do with the rest what you want. Isn't that amazing? In the big picture, I heard of a guy that basically came to his pastor one time and he said, Pastor, he said, man, I started tithing him. I was making $50,000 a year and, you know, $5,000 a year was pretty easy. But he said, now, man, I'm making like $500,000 a year and Writing a check out for $50,000 is a lot harder. And the pastor says, well, let's pray. And he prayed, says, God, I just pray you bring this brother's income back to a place where he can afford to tithe. Because that's how it works. I mean, it's, it, it does. So I, I would just encourage you. To, to the people that have already walked in this, I, I'm, I guarantee it's like, yes and amen. Thank you for preaching that. And I'll get a lot of that. For the people that it's new to, it's like, oh, man, I've kind of heard about that, but I, oh, man, that's, but I'm telling you, it's not my opinion. I just have to present to you the word. What does the word say? What does God says? And he says, listen. If you'll trust me with your finances and you'll be faithful with them, I'm going to entrust you with more. He was trusted with, he's faithful with little, will be entrusted with much. And a lot of times God just starts right there with your pocketbook. I'm, I'm going to close and I'm going to pray this passage over you as a blessing this morning. I want you to just close your eyes for a minute. This, this may not seem like a salvation message. It's really not. But we always want to give an opportunity for somebody. Maybe you're here this morning and you've absolutely felt the love of Jesus. You've felt hope where maybe you have lost hope. And there's something in you that realizes, I need to, I need to walk with this God. I need to commit myself to this God to this Jesus. If that's you this morning, just very simply, and you're saying, today I would like to do that, Pastor. I want to repent, and I want to turn, and I want to open my heart. 
and want to give my heart to this Jesus, would you just, just raise your hand? Just let me agree with you. Let me rejoice with you as you make this decision. This is a huge thing. Thank you. Got a hand in the back. Thank you. Anybody else this morning, you're just saying, man, I just, I just want to, I want to receive this Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Another hand over here. Come on. Anybody else this morning? Isn't it amazing? God loves you so much. You know, for those of you that raised your hands, the Bible says that angels are rejoicing in heaven over you. You would not believe how noisy it is up in heaven right now because you have decided, I give my heart to this Jesus today. Amen. Here's what I want to do. Let's all stand together this morning, and I want to I want to just pray over you, and I want to read this passage of Scripture from Deuteronomy over you. We've got some people that'll come up right now, and they'll be in front. There are prayer teams. If you have a need, you just feel like, man, I need I need some prayer. I need something physically, emotionally, spiritually, financially. I need courage. I'm anxious. I I. I I, I listened to uh, a worship song this morning that absolutely the, the line was, I can't even remember the song, Pastor Stephen, but the line was, fear is not my future. Fear is not my future. And we live in a fearful culture today. It might be this morning that you just need release from fear and a release into faith. As I read this and as we worship just for a moment, just come up and let somebody... Let somebody pray for you. So here it goes. Now it shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all of his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. I love this. Come on. Blessed shall you be in the city. And blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body, the produce of your ground, the increase of your herds, the increase of your cattle, and the offspring of your flocks. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. And the Lord will command the blessing on you in your storehouses and in all which you have set your hand, and he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. We pray that blessing upon you. We speak that blessing through you and in you. We ask that the Lord's favor will be upon you and his face will shine upon you. In the name of Jesus, can we just worship for a moment or two this morning?
guests this morning, we want to bless you. We have a gift for you as you leave on the left. There's an information uh, counter. If you gave your life to the Lord, if you're one of the couple people that did, maybe you didn't raise your hand, but I'd love you to come over here to my left and, and see Susie. We have some resources for you. We'd love to pray with you. We do this in community. God bless you. Listen, invite somebody to church next week. It's going to be amazing. Have an amazing week in Jesus' name. Can we put our hands together and give the Lord a praise one more time?